This is In the Absence of Sports, a podcast that talks to coaches, players, broadcasters, and other team personnel affected by the coronavirus pandemic across the sporting world. Here's your host, Jeremy Otto. Well, welcome back, everyone, to In the Absence of Sports. We're now to episode 20, and we have a really exciting guest here today, which I want to get to quickly. His name is Adam Amin of Fox Sports and the Chicago Bulls as well. But before we get to him, I want to remind you to subscribe. Apple Podcasts, you can follow us on SoundCloud as well. Like us on Facebook by searching In the Absence of Sports. You can find us on Twitter as well, at Absence of Sports. You can find me there, at Jeremy Otto, PXP for play-by-play. Again, that's at J-E-R-E-M-Y-O-T-T-O, PXP. Certainly want, we want to hear your thoughts, we want to hear you know, maybe some of the, the budding things that have been rising over the last two and a half weeks since we've been gone. And it's really exciting to listen to all the proposals that are going back and forth. Uh, I, I hope baseball, from a selfish standpoint, gets back here quickly because I miss it. But uh, all these sports are talking about ways to get back to business, and we're going to go over all that today with Adam Amin. Well, we told you he's a Fox Sports. He had had a 10-year run with ESPN as well that just recently ended, but he's excited about his new opportunity both at Fox Sports and with the Chicago Bulls starting next year. He's going to be their television play-by-play announcer. Adam, how are you today? Not too bad, Jeremy. Good to talk to you, bud. Yeah, glad to have you on. It's obviously an exciting time uh, for you and a challenging time at the same time with everything going on in the world and uh, not being able to call any sports, but uh, you will be calling sports for a couple different avenues soon. Uh, Just named the new voice of the Chicago Bulls and going to be a play-by-play announcer for Fox Sports as well. The thing, I guess, right off the rip I'm curious about is what was the hiring process like with these times for both of those gigs? Yeah, I imagine it's very uh, difficult for anybody trying to make any type of transition, you know, in a job setting right now. It's, uh, you know, a world of Zoom, I think, is uh, a lot of uh, what a lot of people are dealing with. Um, You know, it wasn't anything really like that. I've had uh, interactions and, and conversations with uh, people from all over broadcasting every time, you know, a contract comes up, you know, that's just kind of how it works. You're, you're closing in on the end of a contract and uh, you want to make sure that you're looking at every option possible, you know, just to see what's out there and, and what possibilities uh, are there for you and, and, you know, what, what it could mean for you professionally and personally. So I did, I had done my due diligence and I had, you know, gotten to know uh, a lot of the people at Fox. It wasn't really much work on on my part at that point. It was just kind of listening to what everybody says through representation, and you hear all the information, and you try to make the best call. You know, you, it's you get as much info as possible, and then you call the play. And and for me, it it finally felt like a good time uh, to to move over and and to start something new and and to hit the reset button in a, in a little bit. Yeah, what was so attractive, I guess, uh, about Fox? I think I know it was attractive, certainly for you, your standpoint on the Chicago Bulls, just because you're a Chicago native, you still live there, huge Bulls fan. But what attracted you to Fox, I guess? I think just uh, just the opportunity to work on the NFL is is a huge deal. You know, it's a small group of broadcasters that get to have that, you know, privilege every week. So uh, the idea of maybe being a part of that was very, very appealing. And uh, in conjunction with the Bulls, you know, it's a 
to narrow the focus down to mostly pro sports and to just kind of, you know, make the travel a little bit easier. There's a, you know, there's a lot of factors to that, you know, for professionally and personally, just a little bit more time at, at home, a little bit more time in Chicago, you know, where my family is and where I have a little bit more flexibility to take care of some things uh, while still maintaining a, a pretty good broadcast workload. So, I mean, there were a lot of appealing parts of it and, uh, I, I felt like it would have been a good time, as, as as good a time as any, to try to make a change like that. Yeah, I want to dive into some NBA stuff, some MLB stuff, and, and certainly some NFL stuff in a little bit as well. But starting with the NBA, that's one of the more intriguing leagues, I guess, and what they're doing. They're they're trying the bubble, quote unquote, in terms of you know trying to quarantine their players and, and getting as least contact as possible with the outside world. How do players feel about that? You think? It's been interesting to see some of the um, not backlash. I think that's far too strong a word to use in this in this particular case. But to see some of uh, the the differing opinion about how this is going to take place, and to see that some players are a little bit concerned about you know putting themselves at whatever risk might be out there. You know, certainly might be mitigated because, as you said, it is a bubble. They're trying. Uh, the NBA, I think, has gone about it considering the circumstances to the best of their ability to find a situation that had the right infrastructure in place that had uh, a certain level of control in terms of uh, what goes, uh, you know, what comes in, what comes out, who goes in, who goes out. So I, I feel like the NBA did as, as good of a job as they possibly could, but that doesn't mean it's a hundred percent foolproof. It doesn't mean it is a hundred percent fully uh, risk-free for you know, these athletes who, again, are human beings, aren't just commodities. Uh, they're, they're human beings with families, with their own livelihoods to think about beyond just a playing career. So you're starting to see a little bit of that differing opinion through, you know, I think Chris Haynes uh, from Yahoo Sports had, uh, had uh, some interesting insights from a lot of players around the league. Uh, Taylor Rooks was saying that there have been, you know, Zoom calls with up to, you know, 50 players. Uh, discussing some of these matters and, and thinking what's the next step for us to, to try to make sure we're taken care of in this situation or that, you know, we're making the right call. So, you know, it's not, it's not a hundred percent across the board and it's never going to be, you know, none of these situations, whether it's in sports and in, in any other industry and in any other business, none of these situations, Jeremy, are going to be a hundred percent until you can feel fully safe medically. And until there's a vaccine, which is still a little ways away until we have that level of breakthrough, it's hard to go all in 100% and know, all right, we've taken every possible precaution, including vaccination. Uh, until that happens, it's just impossible to feel 100% uh, across the board in this in this particular case. You look at so many of these sports and the coaching staffs are larger than I think people might realize on the surface. And right. we talk about the NBA and you know limiting you know people on the bench or limiting contact at all. How is that going to affect play, you think, or how teams scout other teams and you know how they kind of react in-game compared to what it would have been three months ago when things were normal? Yeah, it's a little bit more uh, I, I just kind of an old-school feel to it. There used to be fewer assistants. You know, there used to be, you know, I'm sure you go low in lower levels or fewer assistants at every level, you know, college, high school, you play peewee basketball or something. So it kind of has an older feel, right, where it's uh, kind of a more uh, almost antiquated feeling of just, hey, there's a couple coaches and we've got, you know, eight people, nine people on this roster, 10 people on this roster. We're just going to kind of, you know, 
go through with a baseline game plan and then play and then and then hopefully we're making shots and it's kind of a an interesting uh approach to thinking about how this is going to go but i don't know if it's going to have as much of an effect in the nba as it would in another sport say you had to minimize coaching staffs for an nhl game uh maybe for an nfl game where you do have a lot of quality control people roaming the sidelines you know the 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 people on the sidelines often outnumber the amount of players you know or at least it feels like that sometimes so uh, I don't know if it's going to affect the NBA as much as it might some other sports. Chen here with Adam Anine, new Fox Sports play-by-play announcer, going to be the future Chicago Bulls TV voice as well. Well, teams that win a championship in the NBA, say we get there at the end of September like they're predicting, will they have an asterisk next to their name? I don't think they will, and I don't think they should. I think Mike Breen, who's a uh, you know, former colleague of mine uh, at ESPN and, uh, and somebody I, I really look up to, uh, you know, the lead voice of the NBA on, on ABC for the last 15 years. And uh, talked about this a, l- a little bit and said, it, it, if it deserves an asterisk, it's for more praise because, uh, you know, I'm paraphrasing Mike obviously here, because he said for any team to overcome what ha- what are clearly unprecedented circumstances at a in a multi-layered fashion, you know, this is, not just the NBA, but it's, it's, you know, globally, this is such a large circumstance for any team to overcome something like this when thrust into a situation like the one that a lot of these teams are going to be thrust into. Uh, they, they deserve praise for that. And I don't think there's, there should, I agree with Mike, I don't think there should be an asterisk next to their name. I think this is just, you know, it's, it's good to tell the history. It'll be good to speak about why 2020 was such a weird year why the 1920 season was so messed up. You know, it'll be good to discuss that in the future and look back at it as uh, as kind of a, a milestone moment, you know, in this, in this particular sense, just this little tiny bubble that we're discussing of the NBA. I, I don't think there should be an asterisk next to it because I don't think it's, I, I just think it's an incredible circumstance anyway, and it's good to have that history behind you. Shifting over to baseball, Rob Manfred, before about an hour before the MLB draft, came out the other day and said, 100% there's going to be an MLB season. Your gut reaction to that is what? I think there will be. I think it'll be shortened, obviously, by a by a, a wide margin, you know, maybe the uh, 30, you know, a third of the size, third of the schedule of a normal season. Um, I, I think we're going to be at that point. Uh, and certainly that's the hope. That's the positive spin in, in me, hoping that that ends up being the case. So uh, I, I, I still have a lot of questions about the gap between owners and players, about you know how the owners have approached uh, some of the PR and some of the optics of much of uh, the negotiations between themselves and the players. I, I have a lot of questions about this, and there's still a lot of hurdles to pass, but having at least the commissioner say there will be a season. I can't imagine he made that statement, uh, you know, with, with cavalier intentions in mind. I think this has a lot to do with how he truly sees the negotiations going. And maybe that's it. You know, maybe we're reading too much into it. I can understand if somebody were to think that, but it just seems like to me that there should be some level of confidence that we're going to have a season if, if he's coming out and saying it. What do you think it's going to take for players to, you know, we, we've talked so much about prorated salaries and the players are pushing, as I guess you'd expect them to, for 100% proration at this point, no matter how many games there are. What's it going to take for them to fall, you know, from that stance, you think? Or you think they're going to stand tall to that? 
I think there is some room for for negotiation and compromise there, but it, you have to remember the players have done a lot of compromising already. At least they feel like they have. Whether the optics of it to fans translates to that, I don't know. You know that that's that's uh, uh, beyond just you know me and what I'm thinking. That is a that's a lot of elements there. So I don't necessarily want to assume that that would work itself out because I don't know what the optics are going to be. Uh, and, and sometimes that helps your cause, especially when it is as public of a battle as uh, as this particular problem has been. You know, it's been fairly well documented over the course of the last several months, ever since uh, the, these negotiations began. So I, I don't think there's uh, as much of a gap as maybe we initially thought, but I do feel like the players are in a position to, to, to stand strong here if they really feel uh, it's a just cause and they seem to be on that track yeah the other piece to this which i find interesting is that the league office can almost force a season if the the two parties don't together you know come together as a, a formal agreement and we talk about next year and you know the the new labor agreement is there any way if that happens that there's not a work stoppage next season you think you know that there that's a major concern uh, you know this and this labor agreement especially it feels like in major league baseball has been a major point of contention uh, compared to the other professional sports. And obviously we're, we're thinking back to, you know, 94 and how drastic of a strike that was not to say that other uh, or, uh, leagues haven't had lockouts. The NBA had one within the last decade. You know, the NHL has had one within the last decade and a half. They've had two, in fact, in the last two, two decades. So uh, not, not to put it all on major league baseball, but major league baseball lost out on a season uh, in 1994. And because of that weight, uh, I think, any negotiations that take place over a bargaining agreement uh, have a have a magnifying glass on them and have a, a significant level of weight in terms of the perception uh, of the sport itself. And that's a lot of pressure uh, to be put on those. So uh, I, I do feel like it's not out of the realm of possibility just based on, you know, what we've seen in, in the past, you know, 25 years. It's certainly not past. Uh, baseball to suffer through a, a, a work stoppage. That being said, I do feel like knowing what happened in 1994 and how long it took and what it took for baseball to get back to a certain status, uh, I, I'm, I do feel like Major League Baseball will try to avoid that as much as possible. What do you think the biggest winner in the very different MLB draft that we, we've seen in the last couple of days, obviously with the shortened rounds and, and the virtual, which everybody's dealing with now, but who, who do you think won the most uh, out of their picks this last couple of days? Uh, I, I will say the Cubs have gotten a, a, a lot of great feedback on Ed Howard, you know, a hometown kid who's, who's getting a chance to stay, even though I think he was a – was a White Sox fan growing up, just being drafted by by a Chicago team carries some weight to it as well. So that's pretty great. Uh, I do feel like that's that's a major win, and that's been a story that that kind of dominated a lot of the headlines uh, in the last day, especially here in Chicago. Uh, I would I would say the Mets uh, had a solid draft. Um, I, I feel like St. Louis had a good run in their draft. And obviously we're going to get a chance to read up on a lot more of these guys in the coming weeks as stories come out on all of them. Um, Tampa Bay, decent draft as well. So again, I haven't gone full deep dive into, into all the prospects yet, but general kind of reading about it and watching it. It seems like those are some teams that, that certainly felt like they won uh, over the course of the draft. Any thoughts on Spencer Torkelson? Uh, got a, got a chance to watch a little bit of uh, him at Arizona state. Uh, I think he's uh, a strong pick 
obviously. Uh, where is he going to play? I have some 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 questions as well. Uh, you know, he, he's played first mostly, but could he end up moving to third base? I'll be curious to see where he ends up uh, in that in, in Detroit's farm system because you know the infield has been a really strong suit for the Tigers in the draft and kind of in their home homegrown development over the last two decades. So. Yeah, some people were kind of making a big deal of the fact that they announced him as a, a third baseman and everybody's saying, oh, you know, you don't want him playing the, the field because you want him <laughs> focusing on hitting. Does that matter at all? I don't think it matters. No, I don't think so. I, I think in the long run it doesn't really matter. But it, it's certainly an, a, a, something to uh, track because that that will be a major storyline for him coming up, I guarantee, when he makes his MLB debut. One of the first things that the announcers will talk about is, is that moment. So it doesn't really matter, but it's a nice footnote at the end of all of it. Well, something uh, interesting that kind of popped up in, in my mind, obviously you're, you're a big Bulls fan, and I'm sure you watched some of the last dance, if not all of it, but uh, is there anybody in today's field of sports that could make that flip, you know, like Michael Jordan did from basketball to baseball or from any any sport to another? You think there's a, a good candidate out there right now? Oh, sure. I mean, people have talked about LeBron James playing tight end. I mean, he's he's got the size for it. Uh, I think that's half the battle. A lot of these NBA players that, that are just so well built could easily transition into playing, you know, a receiver or a tight end or a linebacker or something like that in football. Um, you know, we, we've I don't doubt that some of the most athletic players uh, would translate easily to basketball. Um I don't doubt that some of the strongest players would have an easy transition into baseball just in traditional roles as like a power hitter. Um, I would love to see Zidane Chara play basketball. You know, I think, uh, you know, he's one of the, the tallest guys playing defenseman. He's one of the tallest ever defensemen in, in NHL history. So I would love to see him maybe, uh, maybe throw on uh, some sneakers and go on a basketball court. Uh, yeah. I just think that it's, but it's an interesting thing that you bring up. It's just the athletic ability it feels like, I don't know if this is true, but it certainly feels like guys are bigger, stronger, faster now than they ever have been. You know, nutrition, uh, regiment, how it's become a business in and of itself, a cottage industry in and of itself is just training for sports where maybe that didn't feel like the case uh, 25 years ago. So I, I think uh, there's plenty of guys now, you know, plenty of, plenty of athletes now that can make a transition fairly easily in any sport, I think. Kind of flipping back to our field as well, and it's an issue that I've seen kind of circulate on on Twitter recently with, you know, er everything going on. But how can we make this field of play-by-play announcing and just sports broadcasting in general more diverse, do you think? Are there any steps that can be taken? I think so. I I mean, you know, I don't know how much different my uh, experience would be uh, uh, than than that of uh, somebody who's, you know, Latinx or, or, or black or, uh, you know, from Southeast Asia, you know, compared to being from South Asia where I'm from, or my, at least my family's from, I don't know how different it would be, but I do feel like there's some relativity here. Uh, I just felt like I needed to see somebody who not even looked like me just had some kind of connectivity to me background wise. Like I'm Pakistani Kevin DeGandhi is uh, of Indian descent and Dari Noka is of Iranian descent. We look fairly different, all three of us, whether it's skin tone, our hair, whatever, like we just look different from one another. 
So, but, but, but like oftentimes we get lumped into the same group, which is, okay, I understand. I get it. Like we're, we're all from South Asia or the Middle East, like in that general vicinity. So even disregarding the individuality of this, let's look at it as a collective. I just needed to see somebody from the same region doing a job that wasn't the stereotype of South Asian people. Now, granted, it's a positive stereotype, doctor, lawyer, engineer. These are all noble professions in, in some sense. So I understand it's a good stereotype to have, but there's only so much you can hear about the stereotype before you feel like I want to do something different. And as soon as I saw two guys who had not the same background, but even some connectivity to my background, I thought, Oh, that's a, that's a possibility now. Didn't mean I wanted to do it right then and there. I didn't really know I wanted to become a broadcaster until 17 or 18 years old, but watching them, seeing them, seeing somebody like Anish Shroff on Dream Job, who's now, you know, he's now a good friend and, and colleague of mine, uh, to watch Adnan Virk, who's become like an older brother to me in the business, to watch somebody young like Nabil Kareem do what he's doing now, to watch a veteran like a Zubin Mahenti now, uh, it, it's just the ability to see them made me feel like it was a possibility. And I can only imagine what Women feel like right now when they watch Beth Moens or Pam Ward or Courtney Lyle, who's a younger announcer, when they watch Kate Scott, who's done everything under the sun in the Bay Area on TV and radio. Uh, I can only imagine how women feel when they see those types of people on TV. I can only imagine how uh, a young black kid might feel if they watch a college football game on Fox and they see Brian Custer and go, oh, that's a black guy doing that job. That means that's a possibility for me. It doesn't mean I'm going to do it or doesn't mean I have to do it, but now I know it's a possibility. And I think just once you see people like you or hear, you know, if we're talking radio as well, hear people who have a background that's connected to yours. I think that's honestly what it takes. Now, that is the most reductive baseline thing we can possibly do. And that also takes time to see the dividends for it. I think what we can do now, and I know it's a long answer, Jeremy, so my apologies. But, no, I think it's it's, uh, it's worthwhile. It's a, it's a it's something that needs to be talked about. I think. Yeah, I think what we can do now is, you know, I'm, I think, and you might be referring to this when you initially asked the question. Uh, you know, we're seeing like internships for black baseball broadcasters, like, hmm. or, and, and baseball journalism. You know, like we're seeing people start initiatives for that, and to get more people of color into jobs like the ones that have been predominantly, you know, white, old, you know, just white dudes. It doesn't have to be old white dudes, just white dudes have been doing this job for a long time. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing people isn't taking away from the cause that, that white people have had their whole lives. Like they're just, most, most of these people just want to do a job that they enjoy. Same thing here. Same thing for people of color, people from my background, black, Latinx, women, anybody who's been marginalized or underrepresented, this is a good time to, to try to take some initiative because I don't think it's going to take away from your own stuff. You know, it's, it's only going to add, you know, diversity is only going to add uh, interesting opinion, interesting analysis and debate to the mix. That's all it's going to do. Absolutely. I think the, that's some really good ideas. And I, I hope maybe that, uh, you know, our industry wakes up to it a, a little bit. Uh, it, it's always a struggle, I think. And as you see, is, is we're still talking about the same things right now. You know, what I mean, it, it's it's always something we're going to be dealing with. But hopefully, you know, people start to wake up to it. I agree. Uh, I do feel like 
it's if you're not if we're not going to talk about it now when are we you know this is probably the best moment to talk about this especially you know now when there are you know there aren't as many you know sports going on there's very little sports going on the 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 amount of coverage is just so minimized for the time being for you know for understandable reasons when we do get back to some level of normalcy whether it's you know this year or next year uh i i feel like it'll be as good a time as any to get more people involved after some time to think about how you can get them involved like this is a this is as good a time as any to start to mix up the level of diversity in, in the business that you know that we're in right now. You know, all the talk has been or a lot of the talk has been through this you know fans no fans when are they coming back how many are they spread out all that all that mumbo jumbo going on with leagues and you know everyone discussion but do you think this social unrest will have any play in, into whether organizations decide to, you know, or what they decide to in, in terms of fans being in the stands? Will that impact it? Yeah, I mean, I think it's going to be reactive, you know, based on, you know, what every individual state allowed, allowed uh, you know, certain have, have declared in their states, whether there's, you know, phases to it. I know here in Illinois we have phases uh, to, you know, just capacity levels and, you know, I know Orange County has basically said, you know, it's going to be, we're just going to go back to normal. Uh, you know, it's a little bit more restrictive in other places. I know a lot of restrictions are starting to lighten up. So it's hard to put a steadfast rule on it uh, in terms of just fans. Uh, I, I hesitate uh, when it comes It's just a lot of variables, still a fairly uncertain time. So I, I, I posit that idea for the time being. And I know that's frustrating because all we want to do is go, you know, be able to go to games again. I do feel like people are still going to watch them on TV. It's, it's, it's weird. It's going to be a weird year, no matter what. So it's not like making it less weird. Isn't going to make it is going to, it's still going to be fairly memorable for all the wrong reasons. So uh, that, I don't, I don't think the historic context is really going to matter. We were going to know that this was a messed up year. So I, I'm, I want to, I, I hope that leagues still proceed with some level of caution about all this just for the sake of what we talked about earlier like not everybody's going to be 100 percent across the board no matter what so as close as we can get to making people feel healthy and comfortable now you know it, it'll take away a lot of a lot of the potential risks that I, I think we're trying to mitigate for 2021 is there one sport i guess not from a revenue standpoint but more from the the gameplay that's going to suffer most from having no fans i, th- I think all of them are, are gonna, it's going to be different. I mean, it's going to be an adjustment period, obviously, for all these players. And not like they haven't done it in the lower levels. But is there one sport you think that sticks out that's that's going to you know really jump off the page as being hard to adjust to? I think football, just because I mean the, the 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 size of the crowds are so impactful. You know, there's just so many people. Uh, you know, NHL, NBA. You know, you're looking at about twenty thousand people. And most, which is still obviously a ton of people in a confined area, naturally they're going to have some semblance of uh, of influence on the game. Uh, to to what degree it's it's individual to the game itself, but uh, I feel like when it's such a large crowd, you know, fifty thousand, seventy thousand, ninety thousand people at football games, and obviously we're talking about college and NFL here, uh, in terms of size of stadium, like I think that has the most impact. I think the NFL will struggle with it the most. Um, but there's going to be a lot of advantages to it as well. You know, to hear what's going on in the field a little bit more often, like some of the things that have been discussed that could be viewed as positives, like just the access that we may be able to get. I think that's cool. 
and uh, you know, we'll deal with it. Uh, whatever somebody tells me to do, hey, we're going to pump in crowd noise. Uh, hey, we're going to put virtual fans in the seats. Uh, this this team is putting stuffed animals into every chair. Like, all good. <laughs> just tell me what it is, and I'll I'll make sure that you know when we do the job, if we're at the if we're at these arenas and stadiums, we'll we'll make sure to talk about that as part of the atmosphere because that will be our job, even even more essential. Uh, when more people are going to be watching, just to give them a, a sense of the mood uh, and a sense of the place. Television is so important in terms of crowd noise and kind of playing off the crowd and letting them take, you know, some place totally home. I mean, you, you talk about championships and, you know, some of the better announcers are revered for letting go in terms of making their call and then letting the crowd carry it. How much different is that going to be with no fans in the stands? I think significantly different. Like it's, it's, uh, I've always talked about having a feel for the game and implementing that in your broadcasting. Obviously, that the fans play a huge part of that, in, and how your your call sounds. You know what? Uh, I feel like every call, every time you speak, part of the context of how you're delivering a big moment is what the crowd is doing. Uh, are they going silent because the road team just just uh, made a huge play? Are they going nuts because? the home team is on an 8-0 run and they're about to hit a three to go ahead for the first time in the game. Like your call has to have some level of context to it. So uh, it's a major adjustment for, you know, most of us that do jobs in packed arenas with a very partisan crowd. So uh, I think, I think just the mechanics of the job alone uh, change without fans and the context of how you, how you call these games uh, changes drastically without fans. Anything you're doing to stay sharp in your play-by-play <laughs> in a weird time? Uh, <laughs> you know, I I have not succumbed to uh, you know calling games on my PlayStation or anything <laughs> like that. Honestly, it's it's been kind of nice to to talk more about the philosophies of this. I've I've enjoyed conversations like this uh, because it it keeps me thinking about the philosophies. Like, yeah, there's some mechanic stuff, mechanical stuff that yeah I haven't done in months, and I will not have done for you know, four or five months at that point, whenever, let's say we play the NFL preseason, I'll be ready for the preseason uh, in August. So that'll, that'll have been about five months without calling a game. So yeah, the mechanics are going to be a little strange. Uh, it'll definitely take some getting used to again anyway, but talking about the philosophies of all of, of broadcasting, why you uh, say certain things, why you hold off on certain things. I think that's been good for me to think about to try to stay sharp when, for whenever we do go back. Absolutely. Well, Adam, we thank you so much for uh, taking some time. I know you've done a lot of interviews lately just with all the new jobs and new work that you're hoping to get to at at some point here in the coming months. But uh, thanks for stopping by. Great to talk with you. Appreciate your time, Jeremy. Always a good conversation. It's Adam Amin of Fox Sports and the new next year Chicago Bulls play-by-play announcer on television. Well, that just about wraps up episode 20 of In the Absence of Sports here today. We want to remind you to subscribe. Put the pause button on right now and do that in Apple Podcasts. You can follow us on SoundCloud as well. Search us up on Twitter, at Absence of Sports. Again, that's at Absence of Sports. You can like us on Facebook by searching in the Absence of Sports as well. Enjoy the great weather throughout Michigan and wherever you may be listening in the coming days here, and we'll see you again soon.
You've been listening to In the Absence of Sports. Interact with the show and Jeremy on Twitter at Jeremy Otto PXP. That's J E R E M Y O T T O P X P. See you again soon for another episode of In the Absence of Sports. <laughs>